You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It's great to be back. I hope you all continue to be well and look forward to what looks like spring coming around the corner. I know we're all eager for uh, a new season. Joining me in just a moment will be J.J. DiGeronimo. J.J. is an author, speaker, and the president of Tech Savvy Women. And J.J. has made quite a name for herself as a go-to expert for women who want to advance their careers and step into leadership roles, particularly in the tech industry. And we're going to have a really lively conversation. As you know, when we go into our breaks, you'll hear from our watch team of contributors bringing you news and inspiration from their industries. They are all women leaders at their companies, and we're always looking for more women to join us here on the show. So if you're interested in learning more, please feel free to reach out to me at susan at womentowatch.net. We have openings currently in both our Philly and New York market right now, so it's really exciting. As always, visit our website at womentowatch.net to sign up for our podcast and our newsletter and to see who's coming on the show next. So now I am very honored and excited to welcome to the show again, J.J. DiGeronimo, the president of Tech Savvy Women. J.J., thanks for being with me tonight. Oh, it is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm very excited, and I know this is going to be a great, great conversation. Um, and I would say from the looks of the responses to our promos, there's quite a number of people out there looking forward to listening in as well. 
Oh, gosh, I felt so blessed. And it's just so great to see people from all over the country and even the world going to join us. Yeah, I, I think it's it says a lot about how many um, people you've touched in the work that you've done. And um, we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. Um, I, of course, want to start with your upbringing and give our listeners a sense of where you came from and, and really what led you to do this work and kind of putting yourself out there um, in a big way that you do. So um, tell me a little bit about your um, upbringing in Buffalo, New York and the community that you grew up in. Well, it was such an honor to be part of such a great community. I lived just south of Buffalo in a small town called Hamburg. I attended public school and at an early age, I started working to help my parents pay for things that were necessities at the time. Little did I know it was really going to be the under underpinning of what really was so instrumental in my choice of joining the tech field. But it gave me great perspective as I worked in local bakeries, waited tables, and even retail shops. I learned early on that minimum wage does not go very far, and that when I entered college, I really needed to align with a degree that was going to pay the bills. You know, you shared, um, JJ, you shared openly um, about the fact that that money was a controlling factor on your family growing up. And as you said, you kind of had to unshackle yourself from these stories. Tell me a little bit about that and, and what you mean by that. Yes, I definitely didn't realize how much money played in my life and even in my decisions, not only in my career, but also many of the personal choices I made in my life. Uh, I think funny enough, when we are brought into different families, when we enter the planet, some of our biggest lessons come from the families that we choose. And mine definitely had to do with money. And I'm still learning. I just finished um, finished uh, a few books about money, and I feel like it really was sort of the catapult that launched me into tech. But then when I moved from tech into the work that I'm doing today, it is a lot of the work I had to do to feel whole and really... Uh, honor the work that I was doing because the salary that uh, that came with my tech degree and tech career definitely doesn't mirror the salary uh, that I'm doing now to do more of my life's work. And I think for me, money and um, has been a little bit of a a devil uh, in my work, and has forced me to really get clear on how I feel about myself outside of titles and. Um, and company names and how I used to define myself. And in the work that I do with women and men, you know, money definitely is an underpinning for many of our life decisions. So that's really interesting. Is it is it something where um, growing up you felt I, I want to make decisions that will enable me to be independent financially? Mm, yeah. So, you know, when you don't grow up with much money, it definitely can often take and could take the joy out of a lot of things in your life because you're always talking about not having the money. I even remember back to, you know, birthday parties and like having to figure out how to pull money together to have a birthday party. And so when I moved into my degree and eventually into my career, my goal was to align myself to opportunities and careers that I would not have to worry about money anymore. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. so funny because I really just, you know, like to collect it. I wasn't much of a spender. 
But then when I jumped from my corporate career into my own business, I didn't realize that so many of the things in my corporate life defined me as a person. And one of them was my salary. And it took me a lot of self investigation and uh, to really understand how I defined myself and and how I appreciated the work that I'm doing. And it wasn't, didn't really understand how this all fit together initially, but I did a lot of work. I followed Lynn Twist and I did a lot of work around money as a frequency. And it wasn't until I could really get the mind shift that money is not to be collected, but to be really used as a tool to further your missions mm. and passions mm -hmm. in life that I really was yeah. able to unshackle myself from defining my self-worth based on the money that I made. Wow. I love that. You know, we could do a whole show on that, right? People's mm. um, relationships to money. And mm. it's interesting to me, what was it about tech that you thought this is my this is my road to freedom as opposed <laughs> to, you know, I have to be an, a, a doctor or a lawyer, those typical professions that, um, you know, we think are going to bring us the money. Yes. Yeah. It's a great question. Well, I did work, you know, 30 to 40 hours while putting myself through school. And when I was deciding on a degree, I asked the counselors and the advisors, you know, which of these degrees get hired? And this was the early nineties. So which of these, these degrees get hired for more than 30,000? Because a lot of folks are like, Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a very specific question that you asked at a, at a young age, you know? Well, you know, people come at you and, oh, you should go into marketing or you should go into PR, or you should go into broadcasting, all lovely degrees. But I had no safety net. I had nothing to go back to. So like my four years was investing in myself to create that launching pad. And at the mm -hmm. time, the person that I happened to be talking to was associated with the tech program at the university I attended. And he said, well, you can go into technology, but you're going to have to learn to code. And I'm like, I can do it. I can do it. Wow. And that's wow. how Good I landed you. in tech. Wow. You know what? It makes, I, I want to jump ahead. I want to share a quote. You said, I realized that I could have taken no's and turned it into an unproductive series of actions, but I recognized I had high self-esteem and confidence and an ability to achieve. Did you always have that self-esteem and confidence even when you were young? Yeah, I had a little bit born in, but I've learned since then that self-efficacy is really what has been my uh, parachute in many ways. I didn't realize early on that I was throwing myself into situations that I wasn't 100% prepared for. And so in doing so, I was able to build my self-efficacy. And later did I learn through research is self-efficacy is having a vision for where you want to go and believing you can achieve it. And all of us learn self-efficacy. We're not really born with it. And it's really about kind of throwing yourself into situations where you're not sure how you're going to get to the other side. And I had to do that early on uh, as a child and, you know, kind of 11, 12, 13. And I continued to do that throughout, throughout my teens and well into my 20s. And I think that's really what has helped me have the confidence to stretch in new directions, even when I have no idea how I'm going to make it happen. And I so, think the other, JJ, yes, yeah, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. The, the other thought around the nose, which I didn't realize early on is that, you know, every no is closer to a yes. And I think for many of us, 
it's very important to realize that we're collecting our nose. And in fact, even when I was leaving college, you know, I really wanted to work for a big six consulting firm because I wanted to travel as part of my job. And when I initially interviewed for them, uh, a few of them, you know, some of them were in different cities that I wasn't interested, but there was one particular organization I wanted to work for. And I got that real thin, thin letter back and I opened the letter <laughs> and of course I was disappointed, but my, my strategy in life is not to pout too long. I definitely have my moments, but I got right back on it and I applied again. And I feel like those types of things of just continuing to keep at it, even though the first, second and third time doesn't work is really what I keep in mind when I want to move forward is that how many no's have I collected? How many more no's do I have to collect before I can get to that yes? Hmm, that's a <clears throat> that's a great way to look at it. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I believe always is a factor in a young girl's self-esteem and confidence is someone who believes in her. So if I were to ask you who who believed in you when when you were little, who would that be? Uh, I, I am very fortunate to have both. Both my parents believe in me. Both my parents believe in me. They didn't always understand me and definitely <laughs> you know, tried to slow me down in different situations. But I would say both of them believed in me. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm speaking to J.J. DiGeronimo, the president of Tech Savvy Women. You you mentioned J.J. waitressing as, as one of your jobs um, in your former years. I read that you said waitressing actually landed you in the boardroom. <laughs> Tell me <Yes>. that connection. <laughs> oh, you know, I had I had great aunts and different people in my life that opened doors for me at really instrumental points in my life. And my one aunt was working at a local country club and they needed a little waitstaff help. And so I started working there at weddings. Uh, but eventually they needed help in the mornings. And my aunt was so gracious to loop me in and I would be doing coffees and Danish stations for board meetings. And just seeing that firsthand of people getting together, mostly men at the time, uh, gave me a vision for where I wanted to go. I wanted to be at those board tables. I wanted to be in those discussions. And as I was refilling the danishes and the coffee, I would listen to the conversations. And it gave me somewhere to set my sights. Even though I was only 16 at the time, I was very clear that I was going to turn in my, you know, tennis shoes and skirt to be sitting at that board seat. And I think for many of us, having that vision for where we want to go is all you need to start down your path. Having the vision. And then, you know, I, I think often one of the greatest challenges is deciding what that vision is. So if, you know, for our listeners, if there's a woman listening and, and um, she's in that place where I just haven't figured out where I'm meant to be yet, what I'm supposed to be doing, what kind mm -hmm. of questions can, can people ask of themselves to, to figure that out? It's one of the hardest mm -hmm. things. Well, I really bring it back to we all sort of have a plan of why we are down here. Sometimes it gets overlooked and kind of muddled and even pressed down. But many of us have things that excite us and inspire us. And oftentimes when we're doing that type of work, time just evaporates. So I would very much encourage you to think about what do you like to do? What are you driven towards? What things do you want to help fix? 
because I believe we're all down here to help one another, to love one another, but also to share our gifts to advance, help, support something. So what is it for you that really eats at you? What is it for you that that you really want to help in some capacity? That's where you should start. And I think for many of us, we do it off the side of our desk before we could, and it may always be off the side of our desk, but it really gives us an opportunity to engage in things that we believe in and that oftentimes we can make a difference at any level, any level. And I think not to overthink it, but to get started today. You know, one of the greatest questions I ever heard um, was someone who said, ask yourself, what, what are you doing when you feel the most joyful? And, you know, aside from being with family and friends and, you know, socially, what are you doing creatively when you're feeling really joyful and kind of lost in that moment? And I think that's a great question that can lead to what am I supposed to be doing creatively in my life? I definitely think so. I put a power of no chart out there and I give women uh, like a little way to track what they're working on and how excited they are about it. Because I think if you really spend time to investigate how you spend your day, your month, your quarters, your years, you can get insight to what you are supposed to be working on. Yeah, I agree. Listen, we're going to go into our first break and uh, stay tuned for our watch team. And I'll be back with JJ DiGeronimo, the president of Tech Savvy Women. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. March, Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, our guest was Dr. Mark Pochapin, professor and director of GI and hepatology at NYU Langone Health and national leader in prevention, screening, and early detection of colorectal cancer. Hear the full show on yourradiodoctor.net. Why is colorectal cancer so important? It's the number two cause of cancer death. It's common, often deadly, but preventable. More people die from colorectal cancer than breast cancer. How common is it? Well, one in eight people get breast cancer, one in three people over 50, one in two people over 60 get colon polyps. A polyp is a small growth in the lining of the colon, and most polyps do not become cancer, but all cancer starts as a polyp, so no polyp is your friend. Good news, with a screening colonoscopy, screening means before you have symptoms. We can find polyps while they're still benign and remove them. Other screening tests like mammograms find early breast cancer. Low-dose CAT scans find early lung cancer. Colonoscopy finds and removes polyps before they become cancer. What's not to like? Not convinced? Well, in 2015, studies show that African-Americans are 20% more likely to be diagnosed and 40% more likely to die from colorectal cancer. More recent data show numbers are rising in young people, under age 50, even under age 40. The American Cancer Society and our National Gastroenterology Societies are working to decrease the screening age from 50 down to age 45 for everyone. And if you have a first-degree relative that's parent or sibling under age 60 who's had colorectal cancer or even polyps, yes, polyps matter too, your screening begins at age 40. If that first-degree relative's under 50, say a parent is 45, Subtract 10 years and you begin at 35. Messages, learn your family history. It could save your life. Don't let COVID delay your screening. It's March, put a strand of blue lights for colon cancer awareness on the front of your home or business. It reminds family, friends, neighbors to stop colon cancer and get screened. 
Send a photo of your lights to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Now the women to watch. Legal Watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar for your Legal Watch. As the litigation surrounding COVID heats up, the lens on employers is being focused squarely on executives. This includes a lot of our women to watch as leaders in their companies. Executive liability is real, and companies that insure them are taking notice of the new risks and assessing DNO insurance premiums to cover them. You can tune into Ballard Spar's Business Better podcast, found on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, to learn how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the management liability landscape. But let me also take a minute to touch on some highlights. In addition to the employee-driven litigation I talked about last week, we're going to see a large uptick in shareholder-driven litigation. This type is aimed squarely at the executive team. Shareholders are starting to file breach of fiduciary duty suits against boards for failing to live up to expectations and against executives for failing to implement appropriate policies and controls related to the pandemic. This includes with respect to employee safety, but also encompasses financial decisions impacting companies' profitability, like furloughs, remote work policies, and the like. If shareholders believe the board and officers underestimated the impact of the pandemic and that underestimation resulted in financial damage to the company, lawsuits will follow. The best protection for the executive team is communication. As much as you can, explain to your shareholders what's been done and why, and also what you're planning. It's always smart to run this kind of communication by your legal counsel, too, before it goes out. The landscape of legal liability is changing. But we at Ballard Spark can assist you in successful navigation of those potential pitfalls. This is Nicole Hitner for your Legal Watch, and I'm here to help. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking to JJ DiGeronimo this evening. By the way, Jay, that's such a great name. I just like saying JJ DiGeronimo. Um, it's a very powerful name. And JJ is the president of Tech Savvy Women. She is also uh, a speaker and an author, and we'll be talking about your books a little bit later. Um, I wanted to, one of the things that you put out there all the time, which I think, you know, again, if you're looking to boost your confidence, you know, do something that you weren't quite ready for. Because I think people are always waiting, you know, I'm just not quite ready yet, not quite there. Tell me something that you've done in your life that you were not ready for. Oh, jeepers. I could give you a list of things. I mean, I never even knew someone who wrote a book. I was scared to death to leave my day job because I was thinking, who in the heck, what am I going to do? I even took a solo trip to Sedona to meet with some light workers because I was so just so undecided, even though my heart was driving me in that direction for so long. And I think for many of us, you know, it's very difficult to be 100% prepared for anything. And if you're 60 to 70% think you can get it across the finish line, you know, that's when you should really start to dabble at it. And I'm a big believer, as as I had said earlier, to start off the side of your desk, make some phone calls, 
build some lists, start writing something down, you know, get on a Zoom call, do anything you can, and especially researching people that are already farther down the path than you and ask them how they've gotten to where they are. And it's amazing how many people really enjoy talking about their journey and are happy to share it with you. So if you're sitting there thinking, how do I get started? Find some people that are already going down that path and see a little bit, try to get insight about what they've done and how they've done it so that you too can get started. You know, I would imagine there's there's people in our audience that don't know what the term lightworkers is. So tell mm. us about that decision and that trip and, and what that taught you and, and perhaps some um, revelations you might have had during that time. Oh, what a fun topic. So lightworkers for me are individuals that bring more light and love into the world. And sometimes they can help you get more clarity on the work you're supposed to be doing in a variety of forms. There's all different types of practitioners and energy workers that often can help you move some energy around to help you get more clarity of who you are and some of the work you're going to be doing. So I turn to lightworkers often, and I'm part of a few mastermind groups that really help me really get focused on keeping my frequency high and working to energize not only myself, but all the people that I interact with. And I think for me, this started from an early age. I've had people in my family that um, were very much into lightworkers. Uh, and they've turned to them for different times in their life where they're trying to get additional clarity or insight for where they're going. And this could be a tapper, this could be a drummer, this could be something, somebody that's into uh, essence or herbs or Reiki. There's all different types and forms of people that are helping moving energy and light onto the planet. But I think one of the most exciting things I've done is I've taken a solo trip. And I think that can be so scary. As most women have a challenge even going to dinner by themselves, I took an entire trip by myself to get more clarity. And I am a huge proponent of women spending time by themselves in productive ways to really dig deep into what is interesting to them, what they want to focus on, and even just spending that quality time doing something they love to do. You know, I'd love your take on this, JJ. I think some people, one of the things that holds people back from going and doing something alone like that, a trip, that's a lot of quiet time. And people who suffer from anxiety don't want to kind of be alone with all of that chatter and the, and the thoughts. So what is mm -hmm. your advice for taking those opportunities of quiet and reflection and and having them really work in your favor in other words getting getting out of that yeah. noise so this is a practice that I started in 2016 and at first I thought thought I wasn't really sure how it was going to help me uh, but I had to take on a I really started down the mindfulness path out of my own anxiety and la lack of joy in my own life. And it wasn't something I jumped into uh, easily. It took me several times around the bush before I actually gave myself permission to participate in a John Kabat-Zinn mindfulness course here in Northeast Ohio. And it was, it's been a game changer for me because I didn't realize how much mind chatter I had and how much time I spent reflecting on where I've been or what I need to do next. And I think I didn't realize that this type of nonstop mind chatter 
often destroys our opportunities for joy and fulfillment because we spend so much time in our head. And what mindfulness taught me was to recognize that that voice in our head is just a part of who we are and not our entire being and that we can actually create space to allow thought, moments of joy, appreciation, and self-love, but it is something we have to practice. I, I think it's especially hard in, in our culture with um, so much information coming at us every day from so many different directions. I think there's been a false um, sense that, you know, you, you have to constantly be doing and sh striving to be um, succeeding and accomplishing and, and all of that. And it, it leaves little time to just be still and figure out, am I even on the right path? Yes, and I would think that even our culture is going to drive some of us to seek that out because it is mind-nubbing the level of busy that many of us feel we need to hover at to be seen as good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think when you are ready to say, you know what, I'm tapping out. I am good enough as is. It doesn't matter how many conference calls or projects or customers or revenue uh, I do next. I am content where I am right now. And that takes practice and self-love. And I think for many of us in such high-paced industries and careers, there is no space for that. And it really comes to like knowing in the like the depths of your bones that you need to live and you need to participate in life in a different way. Right. And wouldn't you say that, you know, I think there's a much more awareness around this topic today than there was years ago. That the conversations are being had. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I even attended, I think in an 18, I went to in New York City, they had a mindfulness 2.0 event which was just fantastic. They had some of the leaders from Apple and other technology companies speaking of not only are they using mindfulness practice for their individual development and leadership, but also for organizations like LinkedIn and, and many artists are using it as a way to really tap into wholeness and self-love. And I think for many of us, um, we all know that we, we yearn for something bigger and more important. I mean, as many of us know that if we carry on through our careers, like the salaries, the accolades, the milestones, they're nice for a few minutes, but they're not really fulfilling. Correct. And that yeah. there is a bigger, better way to live. Right. You know, a lot of your work is uh, working with corporations and sharing your own insights and discoveries um, with women's organizations as well regarding strategies for success. I'm curious if the work, this work for you, has led to more and more discoveries for yourself. Oh, absolutely. I definitely am an individual that has to work through it before I can teach it. And for me, everything that I share in the books and the podcasts and even in the keynotes are practices that I have used firsthand that have helped not only myself, but my teams, organizations, or even other women's groups and diversity initiatives move their needle, whatever that may be for them. And so I'm very confident that the strategies and action-based 
you know, messages and, um, and tools work. And I think for many of us, we're so busy, like in the job, we don't have the time to work on it or work on the initiatives. And I think giving insights of what's happening across many different organizations and groups and giving perspective on what's working and what's not is actually very helpful for organizations that are trying to make a quick difference. Isn't it ironic, um, or not ironic, it's just, it's interesting to me that it's taken us so long, companies, to understand that if if they treat the employees well and make sure that they have, you know, beautiful spaces to work in and are healthy, you know, mentally, physically, that that those will be the most productive employees they'll ever have. Yes, it's definitely an investment. And I think for a long time, you know, it's the corporate culture has been evolving, but I think many of us, and definitely what's been happening over the last 12 months makes many of us recognize that we spend a lot of time at work and we want to work with people we enjoy and we want to work in environments that are collaborative, not only to the goal at hand, but to the overall lifestyle that we're all participating in. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking to JJ DiGeronimo, the president of Tech Savvy Women. JJ, what do you think it is about you that has helped you to be so effective with audiences in your ability to connect and inspire them? <laughs> well, I, de- I definitely there's no um, there's no mincing of words, but there's also a real level of authenticity. I mean, I've been through everything I talk about. I'm very frank and honest and transparent of how difficult these these shifts are individually and as a group or an organization and giving people real strategies and things they can incorporate into their already busy schedule that can help them not only align but create the momentum they need is I think the secret sauce that helps people feel like they not only are inspired but they can act upon what we discussed and see real results. And excuse me, that's the key, isn't it? I think um, there are there are a lot of places today that women can go for inspiration. You know, there are are workshops and there are books and there are seminars and there are shows like ours. And the key is to to really help women get, you know, past that point of inspiration and into action, making that change or a choice to um, perhaps do something that, as you said, they're not ready for. What is that, what do you think that pivotal thing is that takes someone from being inspired for the moment and actually, you know, going back to their place of work or going home and and saying, today's the day that I'm going to make a change? I love that. I love that. And what I think it is for many people is to recognize that they're not alone, that many people are sitting on the edge of the pool wanting to dive in, but they're still saying, did I bring the right suit? Are my toenails polished? Do I have the right (laughs) mindset? And I think for many of us, we're just waiting for someone to say, you are ready. This is your time. Here are three things you can do. Pick the one that resonates with you. Here's the research. This is what's happening, you know, in your head. This is probably what's happening in your heart. This is why you now have what it takes to start today. And I think a lot of it is people giving themselves permission to go forward. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
I, I'd like to talk about the difference between uh, strategies for success and that, again, that belief system, that self-esteem. I, I sometimes struggle with um, the topic of, you know, telling somebody how to achieve I don't know will necessarily work until they have already done that personal development side of it and believe that they can. So how much of it is, mm-hmm. right? How much of it is strategies and what are they? And how much is it that is that that belief system first? Mm, I love that. I love that. And you are right. You've hit it right on the head. What I have seen in my work, and I work, you know, see large audiences, as I often see a lot of people sitting outside their bodies, essentially, like they are participating in the work environment, but it's not wholeheartedly, they've sort of removed themselves from their real self to be a participant and work towards a layer of success. And what I'm working to do is put people back in their bodies and say, all right, how, what are you thinking? What actions are you taking based on what you're thinking? And what what are you holding yourself back from based on what you're thinking? And I think for many people, we overthink it and we're more fearful of what others may think. You really do have to start with the mind because your mind basically tells you the parameters of your actions. And if your mind is constantly sharing that you're not ready, you don't have what it takes, who's going to follow you, who's going to believe you, you will never have action. And so starting with the mind is so important. And oftentimes I often share what many women are thinking based on so much of the data I've collected. And I think for women, recognizing how powerful their mind is and giving them things that they can start with small steps and aspirations to build that self-efficacy we talked about earlier is so important. Right. Uh, that's a great way to go into a break. When we come back, JJ, I want to talk about, you know, tech savvy women, you know, what um, people can expect there. And I want to talk about influence and impact and um, how and why women should be striving for that. Stay with us as we go into our break for our watch team of on-air contributors. And I'll be back with JJ DiGeronimo. Now the women to watch, military watch. I'm Carol Lager. Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. With Women's History Month here, I'm honored to share that Comcast NBC Universal is the presenting sponsor of the newest exhibit at the Military Women's Memorial, which is located in Arlington, Virginia. The exhibit, entitled The Color of Freedom, Honoring the Diversity of America's Service Women, it highlights the contributions of military women of color who have served in the U.S. Armed Forces throughout American history. If you don't happen to live near the on-site exhibit, don't worry, because The Color of Freedom will also include a virtual experience so you can check it out from the comfort of your own home. Now, many of our employees have been thrilled about Comcast's support for this exhibit, and I wanted to share this quote from Sherelle Strahan, one of our employees who is a Marine Corps veteran. Sherelle shares, as a woman of color, seeing women that look like me being recognized and celebrated makes me feel proud and speaks to the progress that continues to be made. Now, I think we can all agree with Sherelle that this sort of progress is crucial. 
In addition to the new exhibit, the Military Women's Memorial recently launched its national registration campaign to document the service of all women who have served in the U.S. military. The register is open for all service women, women veterans, and family and friends of women veterans to document their service through the memorial's digital platform with the goal of registering 100,000 service women's stories by the end of 2021. I encourage you to spread the word to any and all women who have served, and of course to their loved ones, and help us make their stories a part of history. To learn more about the Military Women's Memorial's new exhibit and to register, visit womensmemorial.org. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Now, the women to watch, PR Watch. Hey, everybody, Mindy Barnett, motivational and keynote speaker coming at you. I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about the importance of reading between the lines. Hearing loss to me was by far one of the worst ailments I've been dealt to date. I first noticed issues with my hearing when I was struggling to hear TV at night. It bothered me, but my business and hectic lifestyle always were taking over. So when I eventually was having issues with everyday conversations, it was obvious I had to go to some sort of doctor to deal with a real problem. So I was then sent to an ENT and there I took a hearing test, which I thought I ate. But when the doctor came in to meet me, he was carrying a box of tissues. The good information he shared was that I did not have an ear infection. However, he did have some bad news and that was that I had severe hearing loss and he was recommending that I needed hearing aids to speak clearly. I needed to hear. I needed to hear for life. I needed to hear for work. I needed to work not only because my work gives me purpose, but I needed to provide for my family and sustain our livelihood. So back then, the diagnosis left me feeling vulnerable because no one, no known cause, which it came out to be, there was no real way to prevent future hearing loss. You know, we all live in a mysterious world. No one knows the future in our relationships, if they're going to last, if our money's going to run out, how long we live. We're all seeing that right now unfold in the COVID climate we're in. Getting up every day, putting your best foot forward and showing up, never really knowing how long you'll really have to reap the rewards takes lots of courage, lots of courage. And it's a certain amount of strength to check on, never knowing what will actually be. You have it. You're here listening to me speak right now. You're learning, living, and looking upward. For more information on this message and lots of more, check me out at mindybarnett.com or Instagram at mindy.barnett. See you next time. 
This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Welcome into Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. If you uh, missed the first hour of this show, I'm joined this evening by J.J. DiGeronimo. J.J. is an author, a speaker, and president of Tech Savvy Women. And she has really uh, made a mark for herself out in the arena of, I'll say, women's empowerment, women's leadership, and just helping executives at corporations um, with their own desire for advancement and and moving up that corporate ladder. Um, JJ, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is influence and impact. And and that's something that uh, most people have that desire, right? If you feel like you're here in the world, you want your life to be meaningful. Um, and my question for you is, should we be striving for influence or should we be striving to attain a life that we desire, which I believe eventually leads to influence and impact? Mm, that's a great question. Well, the reason I chose influence and impact is in doing the research for my second book, I found that many women don't have aspirations to move to the CXO level. Many of them are very content in the roles they're in, but they want to join a board or start a program in their local community, or they have a product idea, or even they want to start something, you know, in a nonprofit realm that can help a, a group of individuals that are passion, as a passion project for them. So the reason I started down this path is I often ask women, where do you want to have more influence and impact than you have today? And that is often a very easy question for people to answer because there often is something that's heavy on their heart that they feel like they want to explore or create a solution or even be part of someone else's solution. And I think for many of us, we find great joy when we're helping others. And I often share with folks, you know, it's not always about the people at work. Sometimes it's the people you interact before work or the grocery store or people at the dry cleaners or many, you know, maybe you're coaching a little league softball team or something. Wherever you're interacting with people, there's always opportunity to be impactful and elevate others. And I think for many of us, we get tremendous joy and self-satisfaction when we can share, but also elevate. And I would encourage you to really think about where you're doing that in your life and how much joy that brings you. Because many of us don't feel like we're doing it enough and often we feel short of our life goals because we're not making the impact yet that we desire. Was there a pivotal moment for you, JJ, when you made the decision to step out of the corporate arena and and into this more public persona to, to share what you've learned? Mm. 
Well, there was definitely a pivotal moment for me, but it was not when I left corporate America. When I left corporate America, I was very driven on doing specific tasks. It wasn't until a few years later that I was having a session with a friend of mine just chatting through some of the impacts I was having to date. And I was hyper-focusing on some of the wrong metrics, I would have to say. Some of the metrics that society says you have to hit these metrics to be successful. And I think for me, the pivotal moment is when I shifted my mindset from how much, you know, how much money I was making for every session to actually the energy I was creating. And I put a sign in my office that says, get rich from the energy you create. And that was a pivotal moment for me because I really came to the point in my work and in life where I realized that life is about exchanging of energy and that the more energy we can exchange with one another to support each other's goals, the richer we all are. And I think for me, that was my pivotal, pivotal change or shift. Um, I, I think that's so true. I, and I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think that because of the culture we live in that, that again, it's, it's basically been a, um, a system or a society that has put out their set of rules that said, this is how you're supposed to live your life, go to school, get a degree, get your job, get your 401k, <laughs> retire, and life is over. And there seems to me to be this kind of an, an awakening around the importance of really just living a better life for yourself first and foremost. And when you talk about energy, JJ, how would you describe that for someone listening that doesn't even understand what that means because they've been so caught up in um, traditional living, I'll say. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah. So the energy piece for me, again, a shift for me because I too was in the mantra of, you know, get it done at all costs, got to pull it over the finish line, take any prisoners, <laughs> this mindset of us against them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and just yeah. how unhealthy that is for your heart and your mind. And I feel yes. like so yes. many of us you know, some of us live our whole lives like that, but some of us start to recognize that there must be, there must be another way. And I think in all the mindfulness work I've done and all of the work I've done and just working with individuals one-on-one -on -one and then also in the corporate setting is that many of us sit, uh, many of us are sitting with empty tanks. We don't know where our fuel stations are. And many of us are living kind of day to day, exhausted and burned out. And I think if you're feeling like that, you really should be thinking about what brings me joy and where can I find one of my fuel stations? Because that is not a way to live. And for me, one of the ways I did that is really understanding what brought me joy and how do I elevate my own energy first? before you know, I start to go out and try to find other ways to do that. And I think I, was, I lived for a while as a practicing polluter. I was a complainer. I <laughs> always had things to say about what was going on. And I just, I seemed to sort of was swimming in the mud puddle in the, you know, in one part of my career. And I feel like when I was in the mud puddle, I had a lot of friends in the mud puddle with me. 
and it took me. I a- can't even picture that. You know, knowing you now, I cannot picture you in that negative space. Really. Oh, it's not a fun space to be in. And sometimes you don't even know you're in it. But it really do have right. to shift your mind and thought. And, you know, Oprah and many others will say, keep a gratitude journal. Look for the positive in life. Find only positive things to share. And there's a lot of truth to that. You get to choose if you're going to live in fear and negativity or if you're going to live in love and light. And you can only live in one or the other. So anyone who's listening, you're either one or the other the majority of the time. And so choosing to live with more positive energy and love is a mind shift that you can start right now. Would you agree with me, though? I think the, this kind of conversation um, is is natural and it's easy for uh, for us, you and I, to have, and women in particular. Men, I think, might ask the question, can I be joyful and still make money? <laughs> you know, that um, the more practical among us, I don't know that they understand that when you choose the joyful life first, that leads to success, that leads to money, that leads to accomplishments. And I think that people still struggle with, well, that might sound really wonderful, but I, you know, I need to get a job. I need to provide for my family. How can I be joyful and make money? Mm, this is such a big topic, such a big topic. But I will tell you first and foremost, you know, when I shifted from getting rich from the energy you created, I opened the floodgates for financial opportunities. So I would say the quick answer is yes. But think about a for you've worked for in your life, a leader you've worked for. Do you want to work for somebody that is only driven by the numbers, only driven by the outcomes? Or do you want to... Uh, Or do you remember working for somebody that found joy in the journey of moving the needle in the organization? I think many of us would say. Yes, huge difference. Yes. So who do you, what kind of leader do you want to be? And what people are you attracting? Because you're only going to attract people to your team and organization that want to live in that frequency in which you're creating. And if you're a, you know, somebody that thinks you can only get there if you're if you're just such a uh, just such a driver all the time and only focus on getting it done at all costs. You're going to attract those types of people, and that's great if that's where you want to live. But if you want a more fulfilling experience while you're on this planet, it is in your best interest to really explore ways to learn how to show up in ways that is inviting and supportive. And still, you can still get the job done. Tell me, um, JJ, as president of Tech Savvy Women, why do you think it's important to have women's influence in the tech industry in particular? Yes, it's such a great question. You know, the, the quick answer is thought diversity. You need to have thought diversity on products and solutions because, you know, the whole world uses these products, but if only developed by one type of person, uh, it gets challenging to really meet the masses of the people that need to use it. I mean, this is already showing up in uh, artificial intelligence uh, in the struggles they're having because a lot of the people working on those types of technologies all kind of look look the same and have the same background. So that's the first and, fo- first and foremost. But I have many organizations that call me and say, we need to hire more women in sales and tech because 
customers like to work with women. They like to, they love having women at the table because they feel like they add a different dimension to the conversation. So there's real business benefits to creating thought diversity. And what I encourage people to do is it's, you know, you can spend a lot of money and time hiring diversity, but you have to create inclusive cultures and cultures that are actually gonna engage these different types of ideas, suggestions, personalities, and backgrounds into the conversation. So there's a lot of benefit to creating that type of um, innovative environments with different thoughts, ideas, and people, and gender is just one portion of it. I'm sure you're you're seeing, you know, um, quite a number of, of companies with diversity and inclusion initiatives now. I don't know companies that don't have that. So it's a it's a wonderful positive change that I think companies are paying attention to that and also um, putting money behind it to make sure that it's actually happening and they're not just checking the box. Yes, definitely. And, and you know, it, you're even starting to see a little bit of a culture shift too of organizations that's the yes. real value in having diversity and are encouraged to support, mentor, and sponsor uh, rising stars of all different backgrounds. Right. And it's so much more interesting and fun, isn't it, to, to learn from people from different backgrounds? Then have everyone speaking the same language? Yes, it just <laughs> takes a little more time. And sometimes time is of the essence, people will say. So it's really creating more space and time to invite those types of uh, dialogues and conversations. Right. Listen, we're going to go into our last break, and I will be back with J.J. D. Geronimo, again, the president of Tech Savvy Women. Stay with us for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Women in technology, where are you? In honor of Women's History Month, my March segments will be dedicated to all the incredible women in technology, past, present, and future. Ada Lovelace, born in 1815, developed an algorithm for a computer that didn't exist, and some would say she was the first computer programmer in theory. Hedy Lamarr, a screen actor from the 1920s, conceptualized the idea of frequency hopping. Her legacy lives on in the world of wireless technologies. Dr. Erna Hoover, born in 1926, invented a telephony switching program. Her 1971 patent for this technology was among one of the first software patents ever issued. These women were visionaries and problem solvers. They changed the direction of technology as we know it today. But with so many examples of strong women influencing technology, why is there such a depletion of women in this space? In the 1980s, women made up 37% of computer science degrees. Today, women only make up about 20%. Additionally, they make up less than 20% of U.S. tech jobs. So why does this matter? Women are excellent problem solvers, awesome at multitasking, and incredible relationship builders. Women trust their intuition and are persuasive. Women seek challenges and are equality-minded. Studies show when men and women are working together successfully, the result is more innovative workplace. Let's face it, innovation in technology is critical. Stay tuned for my segment next week that addresses some of the steps that we can take to closing the gap for women in tech. You can reach me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. 
Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at marketing through the lens of empathy and the power of empathy to drive meaningful engagement. But in a digital world ruled by data, algorithms, and technology, where does empathy come into the mix? Today, marketers have access to an overabundance of data. In fact, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are produced by humans every day. Amid this deluge of data, we often forget that behind the numbers are people and their stories. According to experts, data-driven empathy is understanding the story behind a data set to guide our choices. As we shift from analyzing numbers to analyzing people, marketers are swiftly adapting to data-fueled everything data-inspired creative, data-inspired media, CRM, and even data-fueled content production, moving all of us one step closer to -to one-to-one personalization at scale. But what will ultimately define any brand's success are the human insights and keys to empathy that lie within the data. In his book, Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data, my friend and colleague, Rashad Tabakawala, describes bringing together data-driven empathy as obtaining the story behind the spreadsheet. Rashad says, the most successful leaders and organizations will leverage data in ways that extract and amplify meaning, and not just math, asking the right questions and evolving diverse perspectives when analyzing data. In order to achieve data empathy, we need to focus on the stories and the real identities behind the numbers. We need to understand our real customers, what motivates them, and identify the best next action to make better decisions. Until next time, I'm Lynn Falconio for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm having a really interesting and enjoyable conversation with JJ DiGeronimo. Um, and we should talk about tech savvy women and what it is and, and how um, women uh, and men actually can reach out to you and, and find out more information. You're really recognized as quite a thought leader for women and girls in tech and STEM. Tell us a little bit about what the strategies are that you share with executives who want to advance um, or retain women in in technology. Mm, Yeah. So if you are an executive and you're looking to retain or advance more women into leadership positions in your organization, you really do need not only a mission or a statement, but you need specific actions. And a few things that I share with executives that really need to happen to move women into leadership positions is you need to have women that have very specific projects and alignments to um, specific type of work that not only gives them P&L experience, but it gives them executive access, headcount, and support. And that is absolutely strategic 
for many organizations because they often don't realize that men and women show up differently in the workplace. And so how they divvy out projects, how they sponsor talent, historically has basically been based on uh, gender. Many sponsors often support and champion people that look like them. And so if you really do want to create a diverse executive team, you have to have, you not only have to be mindful about it, but you have to have specific actions to make that happen. I'm curious, JJ, how you've been coping with, you know, COVID. And um, I, I specifically wanted to ask you, you know, what do you see as the greatest challenge? And perhaps have you seen some benefits coming out of this? Sure, sure. So COVID's been so interesting on so many levels. It's given a lot of people some time, you know, to do things a little bit differently. And some people I talk to have been taking up courses or finishing that master's degree or, you know, doing some other, you know, goals that have been on their list. But many people are even more overworked now because they are at their desk for many more hours. There's not many breaks. There's no lunches. And I think a lot of people are feeling incredibly burned out. Uh, so I think for many of us, people are starting to question, do I love my job? Is this what I want to be doing? You know, where do I want to spend my free time? And I think for some people, it's been a real awakening of what's important to them and what they're going to do and what they're going to let go of as we start to make our way out of this pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about what has been challenging for you personally through this time? You know, how have you been managing your own fears and anxieties around, you know, what has really been something completely out of our control and, and unsettling? So I've really viewed it as an opportunity. I, I think that for many of us, trying to figure out new ways to connect has been really interesting. I've had an amazing opportunities come my way to engage with organizations online in new ways. So that's been a ton of fun. Uh, I started a podcast, which I was not expecting to do, which has really stretched me in a <laughs> whole new direction. But I also signed up for mastermind classes, which I've never done before in my career, but it's a group of people come together for a set amount of time where you learn and grow together. And I feel like the benefits I've received from the, that type of learning and collaborating with people internationally has given, given me some new ideas of how I'm gonna move forward and bring people together beyond where we are now. I think, isn't that one of the wonderful aspects of technology is our ability to be connecting with people from all over the world. And, you know, that's, we talk, you know, sometimes about the, the negative side, uh, things around technology and the internet and social media, but our ability to, to meet and converse with people from all walks of the world, I think is such a incredible tool. Oh, it's fantastic. I just had a call this morning with a woman in the Netherlands. Uh, I took on a mentee from Africa, a woman in tech that's going to be moving into the tech college. I, I just think that 
it has given people perspectives of things they can do online that they've never thought they could do before. And I'm already hearing organizations now expanding their net of where they're going to be candidates, now realizing that people are so productive when they're not necessarily coming into an office. So I think there's gonna be a huge shift, not to mention we're going into the Aquarius age, which is a lot about innovation and speeding up the way that we communicate. So I think there's big things ahead for people to do some really um, interesting projects and neat work. And soul searching, right? Mm, definitely <laughs> soul searching soul first. Searching. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, JJ, you've written you've written two books, The Working Woman's GPS and Accelerate Your Impact. First, let me ask you, why? Why did you decide to write the books? Because it, it's a big it's a big project to, to write a book and you've and you've written two. Why did you want to do that? My first book, I started writing for my daughter that at the age, she's only about three years old when I started Tech Savvy Women in 2008. And the stories, the advice, the accolades, the research was so powerful at the time that I didn't want to lose it. Uh, so I started to write it down because I felt like when she's 25 or 35, I don't want her to be struggling with having to be 100% in the home and 100% at work. And so what are ways that you can keep yourself whole without getting lost in society's expectation of how women need to show up? But little did I know when you start down the path of writing things down and really bringing information together to help one person, sometimes the universe opens up a path for you to help more than one person. And thing, people were brought into my path and little did I know sort of how things were manifesting. But before I knew it, I was on the path of writing a book. And I just wanna mention for anyone out there that has a book idea but does not think they're a good writer, I'm your champion because I'm not a great at grammar. I'm great at telling a story and putting very actionable steps in place for other people. And I think that just finding people to help fill your gaps. And I thought it was a huge undertaking, huge undertaking. But then my second book, I had really no intentions to write, but I was on a trip with my girlfriend from high school and we did a tour around the south of France and I spent eight to 10 hours on a bike for four days. And I feel like the universe was saying, write the book, write the book, write the book. That after 40 hours on this bike, I'm like, all right, I'll write the book. And I came home and wrote, <laughs> I came home and wrote the book in four months. So, and that was three years of research of why women wow. are stuck. Yeah. Why women are stuck in middle management. Is it because they don't want it or they don't have what it takes or what is it? And so the second book really helps understand why women get stuck in middle management and below. And it gives real actionable strategies to accelerate the goals that women have and realizing that they can make it happen. What, what is the, you know, we, we, we don't have to discuss all of them, but what do you think is the number one reason women get stuck? Uh, the number one reason women get stuck is because they don't have sponsors. And sponsors are people that leverage their social capital to help you open doors. They mention you in meetings. They put you on short lists. lists they give you exposure to uh, people, projects, PL, headcount. And women often do not have sponsors. They have mentors. And mentors are people who give them advice but often do not use their social capital to help them. And uh, the research shows that executives, 69% of executives sponsor people that 
look like them. And since most executives are men, you can kind of see where that takes you. The second thing that women do not do a great job of is sharing their accomplishments. We are we use twice as many words on resumes, but only a third of the detail. And when people are deciding on candidates, they often pick people that um, that show metrics, but but men are assessed on what is possible, where women are assessed on what they've accomplished. So if women are not sharing accomplishments based on the work that they've done, it's very difficult for them to get even ground uh, for positions beyond middle management. Can you share, JJ, with our listeners, you know, something that is either personally or professionally challenging for you? I, I always ask this question because I think um, our, our audience, you know, looks at you as someone who um, has been successful and um, has reached a level of leadership, but you're also a human being. <laughs> and I think, you know, to share with the listeners something that that continues to be challenging for you or perhaps you've overcome is uh, is a great lesson. Oh, I think one of the biggest challenges I have is my head. I just, I'm always questioning myself, doubting myself. Am I doing enough? Do I really know what I'm talking about? Who am I to talk about this? <laughs> so one of my biggest <laughs> yeah. challenges is how, is my ego and how I talk to myself. And it can really get me in a dark place if I let it. And it really takes a lot of, um, a, a lot of self-work to uh, to not let that take charge of my life. Now, isn't that interesting? Because here you are, um, someone who has not only gone after things that you weren't ready for, but continually succeeded in being asked back. In other words, you're doing something very right that companies continually bring you in to speak to their employees. And... I think this is such a common problem that why do we continually doubt ourselves when over and over again we do things right? Yeah, that's why I talk about it so much because it's so um, it's so heavy on my heart. And I feel like if I feel this way, a lot of people must feel this way. And I think that kind of goes back to being authentic and really just being transparent of the struggles that I have. And and why I talk about them so much, because I feel like if I can shed light on my own struggles, I can give women and men um, the possibility to create their path because they see me having these discussions with myself and I'm still pushing forward that they can do the same. Do you ever think you'll reach a point where you're able to stop um, questioning? Where you, <laughs> God, I hope you'll so. just, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I believe it is possible. I, I really do. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, I think you have to believe it first in order for that to happen. I think we're all able to get to a place where we are just fully immersed in, in ourselves, who we are. And if we can stay grounded there in everything that we do, whether it's our work or conversations with people, um, and, and really, you know, JJ, this is a whole other show, but, and you and I probably spoke about this when we had our introductory call. I think it's more about getting outside of the mind. You know, we talk a lot about mindfulness, but I think that all of our issues come from the mind. 
And when we're able to be kind of, you know, that expression in the flow, that's when you're kind of gliding through life and you're not in your head. You're just doing what comes natural to you. Yes. Yes. Would you agree with I that? Totally that's agree. a big question for the, for the end of the show. <laughs> well, I totally agree. And what mindfulness has done for me, it's given me insight to how active my mind is, but it gives me the opportunity to decide whether or not I want to participate in that ongoing reel of naysaying conversation. And I've chosen yes, not to, go. not yeah. to. And I think for many of us, we yes. have to be present. And really, I think the key to life is being present. That's where the joy exists. And that's where you can really find true fulfillment. But you can only be present yes. if you learn how to um, stop the mind chatter of where you've been or where you where you're going and allow yourself to be the, in the moment that you're in right now. Absolutely. hundred percent. I agree with that. Um, listen, we're, we're at the end of the show, JJ. It was such a great conversation. I thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, come on and share your story. This was a fantastic hour. Thank you for having me. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Nina Tandon, the CEO and co-founder of Epibone. Have a great week, everyone, and stay safe. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia in Southern New Jersey. Given the significant financial challenges many individuals have faced as a result of the COVID pandemic, I wanted to bring to your attention the importance of addressing financial matters and challenges head on as opposed to allowing it to manifest into something that could be much more harmful later in the future. For example, you know, Philadelphia, there are approximately 91,000 cases that are heard and that go into the civil courts. Those cases being credit card, bank debt collectors, it could be evictions and and many other things. And of the 91,000 cases that typically go through those civil courts, 97.6% of the time plaintiffs win, oftentimes leading to a judgment against the defendant. I wanted to make you aware that it's really important to um, address your financial matters when they arise and be on the lookout and mindful of any kinds of court proceedings that may be involved in terms of trying to collect that debt. Stay on top of those financial issues or challenges that you're facing. If you need support, please reach out to United Way's partner, Clarify, who can assist you with those financial challenges and matters and looking at different options in terms of addressing them. If you are facing an eviction, you have the right to counsel as a recent passing of legislation within the city of Philadelphia. So please take advantage of that because most times the eviction will be basically go in the favor of the plaintiff because most of the times they have um, legal counsel. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, Women on the Fly. 
Hi, Sue Rocco here with our Women on the Fly segment. I'm with J.J. DiGeronimo. So, J.J., how do you start your day? Lately, I've been starting it by doing something that inspires me. A passage, a poem, a soulful YouTube video, anything that allows me to realize that I'm part of something bigger. What is your mantra for stressful moments? I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Are you a planner or more spontaneous? It depends on the topic or event. (laughs) Where are you typically when inspiration strikes? Oh, I'm typically in my office. How about a place you've traveled to that you'd like to go back? Oh, the list is long, but I think the Greek islands with some Greek salads. Mm, I'll go with you. (laughs) How do you, how do you unwind? I love YouTube videos. So I listen to a lot of inspirational videos on YouTube while I'm cleaning the house or getting ready for bed or just waiting for my kids to finish practice. Do you have your own definition of feminism? Equal, 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 equal. What are three words that describe you? Curious, constant learner, and willing to share. What's a book you'd recommend to our listeners? The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist talks about the frequency of money and how money is not to be hoarded, but to be used in a way to make a difference for things that you believe in. Excellent. And the last question, how do you end your day? I end my day listening to Meditations by Steve Noble on YouTube. Very good. Thanks, JJ. Thank you. Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. Why is the most important relationship you have with your inner voice, not with others? Because your internal monologue shapes your mental well-being. Ethan Kroos, a neuroscientist, has spent the greater part of his career studying the silent conversations people have with themselves, the internal dialogues that powerfully influence how people live their lives. Such noise can be paralyzing, it can be self-sabotaging, or it can be motivating so that you can win a marathon. My toolbox to manage self-talk consists of a mindset strategy for thought management. It's a mindset strategy to get real clear on what those thoughts in your head are creating in your life. The results that are showing up for you, are they good, bad, or are you stuck? According to one study, we talk to ourselves at a rate of equivalent to speaking 4,000 words per minute. That's like saying the whole state of the union in one minute. No wonder we feel drained. So having a strategy to understand When your self-talk is serving you or hindering you is really important. And the relationship with yourself has to be in top shape before you can build safe environments, reshape communication with others, and deal with conflict with ease. So check out my thought management mindset strategy that is the number one tool that I use to manage self-talk. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428.
announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.